Welcome to a new episode of the Leiden Psychology Podcast, in which we explore all there is to learn about the wonderful world of psychology. Today we'll be talking about starting a career as a newly graduated psychologist, because how exciting it may be to finally have your degree, entering the workfield can also be quite daunting. Maybe you're suddenly overwhelmed with self-doubt and not sure if you're fit to work as a psychologist. Or maybe you struggle getting accustomed to your new workplace. Luckily, someone who can give some great advice about this is today's guest, Sepide Sadat. Sepide works as both a neuropsychologist at a psychiatric hospital and as a lecturer at Leiden University. She has a strong interest in combining teaching with clinical practice and how these two areas can strengthen each other. Sepide, welcome. How are you today? Hi, very good. Glad to be here. Now, as a neuropsychologist at a psychiatric hospital, what are some practical skills needed for that? So there is a whole array of practical skills that um, are relevant in that context. For example, having good listening skills, having good interviewing skills, um, but more on a very um, human interaction level it's having good interpersonal skills really and at the university are there any courses that help prepare students for such skill development yeah i think um, especially our psychology program offers a whole variety of courses that help students at least lay the foundation for these skills that can be further um, mastered as you enter the job market itself or especially also in a master's course. For example, our bachelor's has uh, a course called Interpersonal and Professional Skills and in that particular course, for example, you learn so much about how to improve your communication skills, how to uh, improve your listening skills and in particular the interviewing skills. Um, but also apart from that, I think courses like psychodiagnostics and on the master's level, the advanced psychodiagnostics courses, they really do help you have a solid um, foundation to enter the work as a um, psychologist in the clinic field. So now we know what the practical skills are that you need as a clinical psychologist, but could you explain to us what a day in your life would be like as a clinical psychologist? Okay, so uh, let's say you work for a hospital. They usually have uh, lots of meetings. <laughs> <laughs> so the way uh, my day starts is with a um, meet interdisciplinary meeting so all uh, professions gather nurses various types of therapists occupational therapists physiotherapists drama teachers uh, all the types of therapies basically let's say that your hospital would offer all professions gather and you're going to discuss uh, patient progress and the point of that is for the next shift in nurses, especially to be ready um, and well informed about the newest out outcomes. Once the first meeting is finished, you're going to plan your day. And that day entails individual sessions plus group therapy sessions. And you also need to make time for documentation. That's quite an important, significant uh, part of your work. So while you do psychodiagnostics um, and um, talking therapy, you also have to make time to document everything in a detailed manner in the electronic 
patient management system, which is going to be different depending on your country, depending on your hospital. That's it, really. The day consists of meetings where you discuss patients, and it consists of having individual and group therapy sessions that you uh, lead. Okay, well, that sounds interesting. I heard you mention individual sessions and group sessions. What are some of the benefits of each of them, do you think? It depends on the patient's problem at hand. So let's say in my context, uh, in the context of drug recovery or drug substitution, it's also called many times, group therapies offer a great way for people to share and get insight into a certain topic. So your group therapies can be psychoeducational. So for example, you might um, lead a session about stress management techniques, or you might lead a session if you're coming more from the medical perspective, let's say in my perspective, what my context, uh, hepatitis C would be relevant or another disease that can be the result of drug abuse. So the benefit, of course, of these group therapy sessions, if they are educational, is, well, disseminating knowledge. But I found the value of group therapy sessions a lot that uh, people who attend, they share quite intimate things with each other that they usually would not, and it creates a shared sense of belonging and creates sometimes also more motivation and purpose to continue with the therapy. Uh, And in individual sessions, you, of course, get an opportunity to focus more on really client-centered issues Mm -hmm. or patient-centered issues where you can plan the therapy session also according to uh, the issue at hand. Yeah. And for the individual and group therapies, what are the type of clinical techniques that you use? It depends on the school of thought that you uh, are following but let's say you were to do a master's in clinical psychology I'm sure that you will have a course on CBT let's say if that's a mandatory elective I don't know you could choose a repertoire of things you learn there and this is the co- the, the the hospital context that I'm talking about uh, what I learned in my time in at a psychiatric hospital that it's a lot about stabilizing people emotionally because they're going through a lot of distress and they will be with you for a limited time. Sometimes it's only four to six weeks you get to see a client or patient only once a week. So that's the protocols that let's say that your, your, your workplace might um, determine for you. So in that one session, you can then think of what makes sense most. Are we going to uh, start, let's say, short-term CBT-oriented um, treatment plan? Or does it mo- make more sense to do something from the DBT manual, dialectic behavioral therapy manual, Or you might also have people who have ADHD, so you might uh, say, okay, let's focus on symptom management for one of the things you're going through pertaining to your ADHD. So at a psychiatric hospital, it happens a lot that people have multiple diagnoses, depending on the station that you, in the ward that you work in. So I can't give you a clear-cut answer to what type of clinical approach you use, because it's probably going to be multimodal and 
also depends a bit on your school of thought, what you've been learning from your masters, let's say. But mostly people also do a, a follow up, it's like a postgraduate training after their masters to then become, let's say, more specialized in a certain field. CBT, psychodynamic, schema therapy, DBT, systemic. There is so many different approaches that people can specialize in. So for the techniques used in a group session, it really depends on what is needed, but also on what you have learned as a clinical psychologist. Yeah, and again, you learn so much on the job. Yeah. So you will have literally educational material at your workplace that will help you plan sessions like that. There was going to be manuals, there's going to be literature, academic literature, and you have colleagues. So it's it's all go- always going to be sort of like a borrowing and picking someone's brain and, you know, planning something together even maybe. I, I, I rarely think that there is a place where you would be just on your own. But even there, you just, even if that would be the case, you would just admit, hang on, um, I'm new to the job. I just need a little bit of time to find my way in. And um, just, again, managing expectations is uh, important also for the people you work for. Okay, so it's okay to say that you're new and you just need a little more time. Absolutely. Okay. And the people who work there, they've been there themselves as well. So, um, you know, chances are that there will be some understanding for it. I, I would be very surprised if I wouldn't. But, yeah, I think it's it's perfectly fine to just um, meet people, you know, in an honest way. Just, just, just say, hey, I'm new to something. Um, I need a bit of time to find my way into the field. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, one last question about the group sessions. Does it take a while for people to open up? Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be so many different characters in a group therapy session. And, you know, there's always going to be people who are more talkative, more extrovert. Then there's more people who are more on the introverted, more on the shy side of things. And what I always find very beautiful is when people open up after a couple of sessions and um, who who initially were very reserved and actually even a bit skeptical or even defiant to in, in participating. So you have to, as a, as, a, as a psychologist, you have to just be comfortable with the whole diversity of human emotions and personalities that will exist around you, especially during group therapy sessions. They can be challenging, but I think it's a skill you learn and... Um, I, I, I enjoy doing them very much. It's always a lot of fun doing group therapies. That's good to hear. Since you've both studied and are currently working as a clinical psychologist, what has been the biggest difference you've encountered between psychology in academia and in clinical practice? I think one of the biggest discrepancies that I noticed was when you enter a workplace and you enter that with all that fresh knowledge you gathered from years and years of being in academia, there can be sometimes a bit of a discrepancy between research and practice or like basically like, you know, theory and practice. And um, I think that's that can be reflected quite a bit in also in the attitudes people have towards uh, work. Um, you might enter a workplace that is set in its own ways and that might not be that open to applying also new approaches and might be a bit hesitant to adopt also new ideas that you just 
gathered from just being fresh out of uni. So I think being uh, uh, getting comfortable with that discrepancy was definitely one of the bigger challenges. And what exactly kind of advice would you have then for such a situation? I think it's important to always stay curious, to also don't shy away from introducing your ideas and um, the things you learned from your program and from all the research you've done into your new workplace and to just, yeah, stay open-minded and don't give up. That's definitely uh, one advice that I have to uh, don't get demotivated when you sometimes might uh, meet challenges like that. So we've asked about some skills and asked about day-to-day as a clinical psychologist. What are the more practical implications of clinical psychology that students may not know? I think one of the things um, students need to um, be aware of is that different countries have different requirements about who is allowed to work as a psychologist. It's very good to figure that out before doing a master's because, for example, um, the postgraduate training after the master's might just differ per country. Um, So it's good to just learn about the requirements also what it's um need what, what is needed to also become a psychotherapist in a given country because countries have different definitions about who's considered a psychologist who's considered a psychotherapist mm-hmm. there are different professions in that sense or, already so giving psychotherapy to someone in most cases will require another postgraduate three to five year training and depending on your country you either have to pay for it out of your own pocket or you are lucky to uh, get a spot that is um, financed through uh, the state or um, whatever but as I said I think it's just important for students to be aware of the requirements of the country they want to end up working in as a psychologist clinical psychologist or psychotherapist all right um, well, from what I know, as a clinical psychologist, they ha- you have to follow a very traditional way of therapy when uh, treating a client. How have you personally navigated the challenge of introducing innovation into an established workplace with long-standing practices? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that I encountered was that you learn so much on the job from people who are also far more experienced than you. And it's, I really realized that it's important to manage your own expectations and meet your colleagues also halfway. And especially those who have been there for much longer than you. And they are a great asset for learning, for you to learn from them. So I always experience that it's... um, uh, sometimes people need <laughs> a bit of time and you need also allies at your workplace to perhaps push for a new idea or introduce a new approach. Yeah, so I think trying to get inspiration from your more uh, seasoned colleagues plus um, finding like-minded people, that can definitely help you in that path. Okay, and so your advice would be to listen to more experienced people and also stay open-minded and finding your own people definitely okay absolutely 
So, so far, we've heard advice on the type of practical skills needed for a clinical psychologist. We've heard ways in which you can cope with the transition from university to on-field work and advice on how to maneuver in a new workforce. So I can imagine that there might be some misconceptions for landing your first job. (laughs) Could you let us know some misconceptions? Okay, so um, I think it's important to uh, realize that it's very normal for the whole process to take a bit of time. So rarely have I seen people have a job immediately lined up after they graduate. So sometimes there might be a gap of two to three months, for some people even more. And that's quite normal. It depends which country you apply in. It depends on the current demand in the market. Um, so I think a misconception in that sense was like, oh, I'm just going to have immediately, um, I'm immediately going to have a job after I graduate. The second misconception is also, I think a lot of people might think that the first job that they uh, enter is going to be great uh, and uh, you know um, having just a lot of like hopes and dreams associated with it I think it's rather more normal to just uh, maybe not be completely satisfied in the first job and eventually to find your way and maybe even changing paths I also think it's very normal to um even change career paths um, Mm -hmm. these days, trying things out has become a more observable phenomenon, I think. When you compare it to a couple of generations ago, maybe it was more normal for people to stay in one profession and carry that profession out for decades to come, whereas nowadays people um, move maybe from one direction in a field within to another and then again into another Um, let's say take my path for example I come from a a neuroscience background and uh, while I started working as a neuropsychologist in um, rehabilitation I then moved into geriatric psychiatry and now I work in um, addictions and rehabilitation um, drug recovery so I think it's normal that your interests change as you go along in a job and to stay connected to that change and following that change uh, I think is um, again as we call it normal. Mm -hmm. What has been the reason you switched paths a few times? So for me it's a matter of curiosity. I always uh, follow my curiosity and when you enter your first job I think the learning curve can be very steep but eventually it will level off. It depends, of course, you know, what you exactly do. But when you enter a field where you're, where you're really new to it, and I think working as a psychologist in practice is a job, you get the training on the job more so than you just get in, uh, at uni. Uni gives you a great foundation for it, but the practical things on the ground you learn on the job. So... Um, for me personally, once that uh, learning curve is is starting to level off, I'm trying to engage into the next field of curiosity that I have. And that's been leading me so far and uh, which, you know, um, 
will eventually always lead to the next thing. And, you know, I think uh, learning is a lifelong process and mm. what keeps us also motivated in, in our jobs, I think that's a very important thing, is to stay curious and to do things that energize us. It can be anything, but to have the combination between curiosity and tasks or interactions that energize you um, that's a very nice sweet spot. Now, there's going to be many aspects of your job, especially as a clinical psychologist or a psychologist working in psychiatry that can also be very mentally taxing and draining. And to finding, finding a way to cope with that is also a challenge in and of itself. But nonetheless, I think the reward you get from staying connected to your curiosity is much higher than the potential, you know, let's say... Uh, side effects, quote unquote, mm -hmm. that come with the job. And what are actually some of the coping styles that you would recommend newly appointed clinical psychologists use? So, of course, because you are working with people, that comes with very unique challenges such as uh, emotional distress. Um, that can come with uh, sometimes you might be exposed in an environment that is highly challenging and emotive and very mentally taxing. You might have to face a lot of emergency situations uh, in with people who are in extreme emotional distress if you work in a psychiat psychiatric institution in particular. So all of the things, you have to be aware that you're just a human and these things will leave a mark on you. And to cope with that, I think, again, comes back to how connected to you you are to yourself and how well you know yourself and what helps you wind down and what helps you to replenish that energy that, let's put it carefully, has been depleted in that moment. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in becoming a clinical psychologist, but one thing I fear is that I will find it hard to leave my work at work when I'm going home. Can you tell us something about that? I think it's a perfectly reasonable and understandable fear, and it's based in reality because um, there's always going to be some cases that affect you more than others. So to have things like supervision or intervision really helps uh, mitigate the effects of things like that. And usually in professional environments, they will provide opportunities to engage in intervision and supervision. So that's basically taken care of from the professional side, but it can still happen that some situations will affect you more than others. And again, uh, meeting these circumstances with compassion for yourself and kindness for yourself is, I think, also a way to mit really mitigate the negative consequences of that because ultimately you are just a person, you're human, and you're trying to help other people and you might also need a little support network yourself where you feel safe enough to um, share how you've been feeling about these things. Okay, so your own safety net is being taken care of by the job itself. Yeah, definitely, because okay. you also have the issue of uh, confidentiality that, for example, things that happen maybe between you and a client or, um, or just not just necessarily between you two or you witness certain things there is the issue of confidentiality and you you know you usually you don't share these things with people outside of your work 
And so this is why things like supervision and intervision exist. So you can also speak to people in your own profession about these things and get even um, professional advice from someone far more experienced how to cope. So it's really helpful then to be in a group type of practice setting as a first-time clinical psychologist? Uh, I think it helps, yeah, simply because they probably will have mm, mechanisms in place, uh, you know, for these things. Uh, but you can also always seek supervision outside of your clinic yourself. For mm -hmm. example, you can... Uh, Uh, search for a supervisor in your field, like in your work and um, like another fellow's clinical psychologist, let's say. Mm -hmm. And if they might have training in supervision, you can also take up sessions with them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think a well-known concept is imposter syndrome. And what advice would you give to all newly graduated clinical psychologists who struggle with self-doubt, for example, in the workplace? Yeah, I think it's going to be very normal to feel that way because you just finished uni, you have learned a whole wealth of information, but now you have to apply it in a real life context. And uh, I think being comfortable with making mistakes is very important. I made mistakes myself and they were the only source of learning massively from them. And finding people who you can trust to uh, maybe share these things with so that they can help you grow from them at your workplace. Imposter syndrome, I always like to demystify this because it's so unfair because everyone who goes through all these types of degrees and qualifications, they're so perfectly qualified to work in this field. And um, the reality is, though, that you do simply learn from reaching your own limits, being comfortable with the fact that you cannot know everything from the start and, again, meeting yourself with compassion and not expecting to be the expert of something from the get-go is very important. Mm -hmm. So, any final words for the listeners then? Yeah, I would encourage everyone to always stay connected to their curiosity, follow their interests, follow their passions. Uh, having enthusiasm for what you do is great. If you enter a workplace um, where people might not feel the same way about certain things that you do, have a conversation with them, try to find allies, try to get them also uh, motivated for the new fresh approaches. And yeah, uh, I think uh, it's a fantastic job and you get so much reward from it. And yeah, stay curious. Thank you. And thank you for your time. For listeners who want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Uh, I think a classic LinkedIn page, but also people are um, very welcome to email me uh, with my uh, university email address. Um, I haven't set up a website yet, but that will be in the making soon. <laughs> okay, <laughs> nice. Uh, we'll link that down. That was our guest, Seppi De Sadat. If you like this episode, please follow the Leiden Psychology Podcast and leave a review. Stay tuned for next month's episode. <laughs>